You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. We're going to continue our series today, uh, What's His Name? We're kind of using the summer to go through the blockbuster of the, of the Minor Prophets. And if you've never read the Minor Prophets, well, join the party, because there are a few people that have. It's, it's a collection of 12 books in the Old Testament. They're called Minor Prophets, not because they're less important, but because they're small. And uh, they're made up of guys' names that usually become our kids' names, but we have no idea what they did or what they're about. So today we're going to take a look at our next one. And um, they are less Jedi and Gandalf and more just regular guy. See, when I think of the prophets, I often think of like, Gandalf, you, you know, and, and uh, or Jedi's, you know, with a wave of a, of a hand, uh, they're out of trouble. Uh, they're levitating stuff, that sort of, but that's not the prophets. In fact, the word prophet simply means one sent with a message. That's all it means. So when you see the word prophet, these are people sent by God with a message, a very specific message to a specific group of people. And the prophets did not write to us. We're going to look at these prophets, and they weren't written for us. They were preserved for us. So for us to get the best idea of what they mean for us, we need to read it through their eyes and then see what it means for us. So what we're doing is we're kind of going back through time to help us to understand that just a little bit. Here's the graph that I shared last week, and we're going to take a quick glimpse of it. There was a United Kingdom for just a while. Maybe you've heard of King David. Well, there were three kings in the United Kingdom, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then there was a civil war, and the kingdom broke into two parts. And uh, one half of the kingdom had a real hard time serving God, and the other half had a hard time serving God. Both of them struggled, one more so than the other. So one... Well, God taken off his slaves earlier than the other. Eventually, the other one did too. Well, in the meantime, God sent these guys over here on uh, your left. These are the minor prophets. And this is the time frame in which God was talking to them. Some of the bigger known prophets are in the middle. You can see how some of them were actually at the same period. So we're going to try to go in order and we're going to unpack their story. Today, we're going to look at the not-so-famous Amos. Next week, we're going to take a look at Jonah. We have a guest speaker. We're going to be at camp next week. I'll be there. So there's a guest speaker, somebody who you love, and I think you're going to enjoy. He's going to unpack Jonah, the only 12, the only one out of the 12 that didn't speak to God's people. They were actually, Jonah was actually sent to another part of the world, and uh, he ran from God. So you're going to want to check that out. So last week, Joel, this week, the not-so-famous Amos, let's jump in to Amos 1.1, and then we're going to unpack this. It says, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw conquering Israel two years before the earthquake. We have no idea what the earthquake event was. It happened. They all knew about it, and so he's mentioning it. Uh, Unknown event. He says, when Uzziah was king of Judah, he's king of the southern kingdom, And Jeroboam, son of uh, Joash, that's Jeroboam II, was king of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. He says, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. I love that picture. You see this multiple times where God is a lion in the book of Amos. And right off the top, in that first couple of verses, we get the who, the where, the when, and the mood of the entire book. 
The mood is God as a lion, and we get who it's by, and we're going to find out who is this guy. Who is Amos? Now, he's not who you might expect. He was a prophet that nobody wanted to listen to. And in fact, by Amos 7, the king and some people wanted to chase him out of the whole area. But this is what he said. Amos answered Amaziah. He said, uh, he says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Man, I'm just a regular guy. He says, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of a sycamore fig trees. So he was a sycamore fig tree. He was a fig tree farmer and a shepherd, a herdsman. Okay. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people. Now then hear the word of the Lord. All right. So he was a farmer. He was a shepherd. He was an outdoorsman turned prophet. He was from a small town called Tekoa, which is two miles south of Jerusalem in Judea. He was a country boy. In fact, today's message is called, Here Comes the Country Boy. So he travels from the south, because he's from the south. He's a southern country boy. He travels from the southern kingdom all the way to the northern kingdom, to a whole different group of people, to kind of the snotty snobs, high class, high end, wealthy side of the land to give them a message from God. Now, a lot of us think that that the prophets were like, thus says the Lord. But you know, this is actually probably a little bit more what the prophets look like. This is probably over here to the left. That, yeah, the Duck Dynasty prophets is really the minor prophets, particularly Amos. He was a country boy. He was a southern, not so gentleman guy. He was harsh. He was known for his harsh personality. He was known for his harsh words. He didn't hold back. And he uses a lot of country sayings in the book of Amos. It's hilarious. We're going to look at a couple of them, uh, real funny ones, actually. Uh, so uh, go back to that picture. Don't go there yet. <laughs> All right, oh, we're going to learn some uh, some Duck Dynasty wisdom here. So this is kind of some of the prophets. And I would say out of these guys, this here on the far left, that's probably Amos. You got Joel. Uh, the, uh, Willie's probably uh, Jonah over here. And, uh, well, everybody else is, is what's his name? Who, who knows their names, all their names? You do? What are their names? Yeah, who can tell me all their names? Okay, what's the, what's the, uh, is that Cy, the guy with the glasses? Okay, he's happy, 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 right? Okay, okay, see, I watch it, but I don't watch it that much, like some of you. Because uh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm a little intimidated by their beards, actually. Here's some wisdom from the Duck Dynasty guys, and I thought about reading them, but I think it's just better if you read them. Yeah, that's funny. It doesn't sound as funny when I read them because you got a picture there. All right, who's read the second one? All right, let's go to the next one. Here we go. Here's another one. I like this one. (laughs) All right, let's go to the next one. Here's a couple more. Wisdom from the dynasty guys, speaking prophets of our day, right? Can't she cook? And I love, I particularly like this one, Willie's words here about his daughter. Yeah, (laughs) my daughter even thought that was funny. All right, and I think we got one more here. I like this one. This just goes to show the this their 
<laughs> it's what they do. <laughs> uh, he doesn't blame the snake for biting them, right? It's what they do. All right, let's go back to this picture because uh, uh, I'm going to, I think, by the way, if you can grow a beard, can you stand up? If you can grow a beard... See, according to the Duck Dynasty guys, only men, is this it? Hey guys, uh, those of you that are sitting, let's, let's hear for the men in this room. The real men in the room, right? Uh, I cannot grow a beard, so um, I'm not a real man, but uh, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, I was noticing this during worship. I think the entire band can grow a beard. Um, every... Men, it's not my business if women can grow beards or not. So let's read a little bit uh, about why he was there. First of all, he was there because, well, there was a king at the time. This beard is, I don't know how you guys do with this. I'll put this on later on. Yeah, it's a great place to keep your snacks, isn't it? <laughs> All right, he was there because the king, Jeroboam, uh, remember the northern kingdom split from the southern kingdom. Well, the temple that the people of God were to worship at was in Jerusalem. Well, Jeroboam II did not want his people traveling from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom to worship at the temple. So he began to open up his own worship temples, his own worship buildings. And when he opened up these worship centers, he built altars to the Lord God and altars to idols. So God moves on the heart of this country guy, Duck Dynasty Amos, kind of guy. He moved on Amos and there are two characteristics of the Northern Kingdom. They were wealthy. They're extremely uh, uh, into luxurious living and they were morally, religiously, and politically corrupt. So it would be easy for this country boy, Amos, this Southern, you know, harsh country guy with, you know, dirty fingers and, and dirty fingernails and, you know, bandanas and hunting gear and, and, you know, farmer kind of guy it would be easy for him to have little sympathy for the lazy materialistic people of the North. So he comes with a straight message and the farmer shows up with a message. Nine chapters. Of the minor prophets, kind of long. We're just going to fly over it. I want to encourage you this week, read Amos. And if you get finished, read Jonah, because that's what we're going to talk about next week. So I'm going to break it up into sections. And the first section is this. Amos first gives us seven verdicts and one unexpected judgment. Here's where he goes. Amos 1.3. He says, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four I will not relent. That means I won't, I won't give in. Because she thrashed Gilead and sledges having, uh, with sledges having iron teeth. And I will send fire on the house of Hazael that will consume the fortress of Ben-Hadad. All right, who gets that? Anybody? Anybody get that? All right, we're going to unpack that real simply. What happens? That's the first of seven judgments that begin with, I've got three things with you. No, make that four things that I have a problem with. 
And the first place he mentions, he mentions seven verdicts against seven nations. And the first one he mentions is Damascus. He says, I'm bringing judgment down. The hammer's coming down. And these are the reasons. Take a look on the screen. These are the seven nations that he brings the hammer down on. First, Damascus. He says it's because you have cruel and harsh treatment of the, uh, to your neighbors. He says, you're mean, you're harsh, you're violent. And because of that, your king will be taken out and the people will be run out of their land. Then he says to Gaza, he says, for three sins, no, for four. He says, it's because you are into slave trafficking. He says, and because you take people and turn them into slaves and then sell them, he says, this city and your king will be taken out and all your people will die. And then he says to Tyree, he says, for slave trafficking and breaking your peace agreements to your neighbors, your entire cities will be burned down to the ground. And then he says to Edom, because of the cruelty to your own family and to people, he says, your city will be burned down. And then he says to Amon, he says, I have three things. No, make that four, because you murder your pregnant women to avoid having children. That's ancient days abortion. That's how they did it. He says, the city will be destroyed and your government will run away in a time of trouble. And then Moab, he says, for murder and disrespect of other people's leaders, of other kings. For that reason, he says, your city will be destroyed by war and your king and all your officials will die. And now I can imagine Israel going, yeah, take that, you heathen, right? Because that's all their neighboring countries that they were always at war with. So here comes this country guy saying, hey, all the people you don't like, the hammer's coming down. And they're going, yeah. But if you had a map, you would see that he was moving closer and closer and closer to their home to where he even mentions the southern kingdom. And he says to the next one, he says, Judah, that's the southern kingdom of the, of the divided kingdom. He says, for not knowing and obeying the, God, uh, the word of God, he says, your city and, and your temple, Jerusalem, will be taken out. He says it this way, Amos 2, 4, he says, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, no, make that four, I will not relent because you have rejected the law of the Lord. You have not kept your decrees, uh, his decrees, because you have been led astray by false gods and uh, the gods of their ancestors were followed. I will send fire on Judah and it will consume the fortress of Jerusalem. Now you're thinking, here's Israel and they're a civil war with their own brothers and sisters in the south. And they're looking at Judah going, ha, take that. God likes us better than y'all. So at first, this country prophet seems to be prophesying in their favor. And then that's the seven verdicts. And now one unexpected judgment. He says in verse six, this is what the Lord says for three sins. No, make that four. I will not relent for the sins of Israel. Now, this begins to hit home, and what happens here is Amos then lists several issues he has that God has with Israel, and they're more than the others. Listen to this. He says, it's for slave trade, for abuse of the poor, for immorality, for incest, for taking advantage of others' kindness, for rebelling against God, for idolatry, for corrupt court systems, for cruel treatment of others, and for the abuse of men of God. He says, for this reason, look at verse 13. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Woo, baby. 
See, when this prophet shows up, Israel's not expecting them to be on the list. What they thought was about somebody else was about them. You know, I think we do the same. We show up at church and we're listening to that message for our friend, for our family, for our husband, for our wife. For our, oh, I wish my wife was here because she could have, you know, I wish my husband was here. I wish my kids would pay attention because this is for the, you know, no, this is for you. All right. There might be something in it for them, but really the message that God wants to bring when you show up is for you. Then Amos begins, he switches gears and he gives two fairly long sermons. You can read them in Amos. Uh, It's Amos 3 through 6. It's three chapters. You can read it later. Uh, Here's what he says in Amos 3, 1. He says, hear this word. He says, I'm going to give you a message. He says, I'm a prophet. I've come with a message. He says, people of Israel, the word of the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family. I brought you up out of Egypt. You You only have I chosen. You are the people that I have chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your sins. You know, a good dad does that. A good dad looks after his own kids. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So what happens is Amos then preaches two sermons. One of them uh, shows Israel's and defines Israel's uh, depravity as immoral people. He says, man, you're sleeping with family members. You're you're committing uh, adultery. You're doing perversion uh, activities in your own life and your marriage. You're you're doing temple sacrifices to to pagan gods and, and... When he lays it down, he says, there is evidence we know what you're doing. And then he says these, these are highlight verses in that sermon. He says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. That means God is going to tell you beforehand before he does something. And today he's using me, that's what Amos says. He says, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Man, he's, he's speaking the truth. He says, this is not from me. This is from the Lord. And then he says in verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, The Lord God Almighty is his name. He unwraps this picture of God that is massive. He says, man, we're not talking with one of those little idols you think is out there. There's only one Lord God Almighty, and he is speaking to you now. You've walked outside of his will for your life. That's sermon number one. And then sermon number two, he begins to display Israel's decadence. And he begins to prove in a court system style how they are guilty against the Lord. Amos 5, 7, he says, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He says, man, there are people who will do anything to get what they want. And, and when they're given the opportunity to do the right thing, they still don't. He goes on to say, you tax the poor when they have no money. He says, you oppress the innocent. You take bribes in courts and you use the court system to deprive people of fair justice. And then he says this in Amos 5.10, he says, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and you oppose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. 
Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. By the way, this is an all-knowing God here. There are no secrets from God. Some of you think you've got a secret that you're doing really well to hide and, and to keep secret. The Lord knows. There are no secrets to the Lord. He's an all-knowing God. He says, how great are your sins? He says, they are known. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Amos 5, 15, he goes on to say, seek good, not evil. This is the invitation that you might live. Then the Lord Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And here's the deal. Amos then says, if you'll just say, Lord, I'm wrong, you're right. He will hear you and he will become the Lord of your life like you know him to be. But then he goes on to say, but I know you won't. So the hammer is coming down and because you won't relent, he won't relent. And he says this in verse 18, he says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. This is the, this is the beard time. This is the beard talking. This is the dynasty country boy talking. He says, It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. Though he entered his house and rested his hand on a wall only to have a snake bite him. He says, man, I love this. I can see, you know, this country guy using these, these countries. They're like, what's a bear? Happy, happy, happy. So then Amos then gives five word pictures no one wanted to see. Five word pictures, and here they are. The first one, he talks about locusts. And this is in Amos 7 and 9. He says, these locusts, they came out and attacked you. You called out to Lord, and he heard your prayers, and they went away. He says, and then there was fire, and the fire came down and tried to destroy your city, but you called out to the Lord, and God relented, and he turned away and spared you. He says, but now the Lord has dropped the plumb line. The plumb line is a measurement tool. And he says, the Lord has measured you and you have failed and the Lord will not relent this time. And then he says, because of that, I will not spare you any longer. And then he gives another word picture of fruit. And he says, you guys, you're like fruit. You're ripe and you're in a basket, but you're rotting. You're not being used. You're not using the gifts, the talents. You're not using the the call of God that is on your life. You're like rotting fruit. He says, and I will spare you no longer. This is what he said in Amos 8, 11. He says, because you're taking advantage of the poor, you will become poor. Not only poor in this life, but poor in your heart. He says this, and this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Actually, right here. He says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, and they will not find it. Wow. Maybe you're there. 
Maybe you're in a place where you're, you're man, you're here today. God, are you going to speak to me today? Because I feel like I'm in the desert. Good news for you. If you will listen, God will speak. He's maybe already speaking right now. But there's some of you, you're listening to me now, and you say, I'm not getting anything. Because it's not a locational thing. It's a heart issue. And their heart was so removed from God that God was finished with them. And then, and then the last word picture is God shows up at church. God shows up at church and he says, your worship is empty. It's idolatrous. That altar that you try to worship at, he says, it is, it is so filled with corruption. And because of that, your whole kingdom will come down and I will destroy this church. I will destroy this temple and you'll be taken away as captives, as slaves in another land, and you'll be sifted like wheat. Amos 9, 1, he says, I saw the Lord standing by the altar and he said, strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake, bring them down on the heads of all the people. Like, wow. And this, this country guy, keeping it real, this country guy with the beard that nobody took serious is, is bringing down the hammer. Now, I want to tell you something. He wasn't a crazy person because here's what happened. 50 Years later, Assyria, that's the kingdom from the north, they actually came down and attacked Israel and took them all as captives and burned all their cities to the ground. And every single prophecy that Amos gave came true within their lifetime, within many of their lifetimes. And God always says what he's going to do before he does it. He kind of gives a glimpse at picture, an opportunity for us to hear the country guy. To hear the country guy and turn to the Lord. Now, here's what happens next. A very interesting, interesting surprise, a surprise ending. Here's the one big surprise ending, and then we're going to find out what this Amos has to do with us today. The ending that no one saw coming. In Amos 9, 8, he says, I'm going to wipe all of you out, but there are some of you from the household of Jacob that I will spare. And then he says in Amos 9, 11, he says, and in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And I will build it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations will bear my name or know my name, declares the Lord who does these things. Now, what's interesting here is there's a guy in the New Testament who's actually the half-brother of Jesus. His name is James. He was one of the apostles of the early church. And in Acts chapter 15, he does a message based on Amos. And he quotes that verse right there. And he says, Jesus fulfills Amos. That Jesus fulfills this message that the kingdom will be restored. And the kingdom restored is not one that is built with literal walls. It's a kingdom and a temple built with the walls of a body. And that we are now the temple, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and that now the whole world, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And that because the temple was destroyed, literally, and because the temple was destroyed figuratively in Christ, we, the rest of the world, can know Jesus. 
It's a great passage. Read it yourself, Acts 14 and 15. He says in verse 14 of Amos, he says, And I will bring my people Israel back from exile, and they will rebuild the ruined wall uh, cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they will make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. He says, I'm going to wipe all of you out, but a few of you I'm going to spare from the household of Jacob and that one day you will come back and rebuild this temple. And that happened also. 50 years after they were, uh, 50 years after this message, they were taken into exile and uh, just less than a hundred years later, they were actually, some of them allowed to come back and to rebuild the city. Let me tell you something. The way that God deals with people then is the way that God deals with people today. God's character and standards then are the same standards that God has now. So that's what it meant for them. Let's take just a few minutes and find out what that means for us. I want you to write this down. Here's some things about what it means for us. Amos gave us eight judgments, two sermons, five word pictures, one surprise ending. I want you to write this down. A great large, massive message of Amos is that God is truly ruler over all. The Lord God, the one and only our God is Lord of all. This is huge. I've got a lot of verses in, uh, in your notes, uh, additional verses on all the things I've talked about so far, but there are more. I want you to go home and I want you to read them this week. I want you to study God's word. And Amos over and over declares a great message of the Bible, and that is that God is in control. Everybody say sovereignty. Sovereignty is a powerful word that Amos drives into the ground. He plants the stake and says, this is the Lord God. Some of the things that he says, he declares very clearly that God is in control. He says that God controls the weather patterns and he controls your life. And he says very clearly, you cannot control the weather. God does. God even controls the events and affairs of our daily life. And then he goes on to say that God is powerful. He's all power. Ever say omnipotent. That's a big word that means God is all powerful. Amos drives it home. He says, God does as he wills, when he wills, and he can't be stopped when he wills to do anything. You see this through Amos. Another thing Amos says, he says that God is all knowledgeable. Everybody say omniscient. That means that God knows all things. And Amos drives it down. He says, God knows your secrets. He knows your heart. He knows where you're going. And he knows where you're going. He knows everything about you. And then he says, God has this sense of being present everywhere you go. Everybody say omnipresent. That means that God is present everywhere. And Amos says, you can run to the mountains and God will be there. You can run to the valleys. You can be there. You can even try to get yourself dead and get yourself buried in the ground and God will be there. He says, you cannot run from God. God says over and over in Amos, you cannot escape me. I'm everywhere. And the big message of Amos is that God is holy. God is holy. That means that God is is not only good, but he is just and he is perfect and he upholds perfection and justice and righteousness. And Amos says he can give it. 
Amos declares very clearly that the Lord God that we serve is not the God of just us. He's the God of all creation because he starts off with seven judgments against the nations. And he says, you know what? Not only am I going to judge you, but I'm going to judge the nations. And one day the whole world will stand before me. And one day you will stand before me. Powerful message of Amos. The truth is for all creation. We're not Christians and then somebody else is whatever they want to be and another group is whatever. The word of God is for all of us. The second thing he says that's interesting through a pattern through Amos is that if you're not right with others, uh, you're gonna, it's going to be hard for you to be right with God. Over and over again, his judgments against these people, against the nations, against Israel was, you know what? You don't know how to treat your neighbor. You don't know how to treat your family. You treat people with disrespect. And the people you call your own friends, you're dishonest with, and you go behind their back. Amos unpacks this against these people, and he says, because you can't get along with others, you won't get along with me. And, you know, that is a clear message through all of Scripture. Even Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest command is, maybe you've heard this passage in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. he was asked, teacher, what's the greatest command in the law? And Jesus replied, love your neighbor. I'm sorry, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets, everything in the entire Bible, everything that we have from God rests on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all you have and love your neighbor as if you would love yourself. God makes it very clear. Jesus may, even at one time, Jesus says, if you come to the altar to worship and you have issues with your brothers and your sisters, if you have issues with others, leave your altar there, go and get it settled, then come back with your heart of worship. Because if you have issues with others, you're going to have a hard time connecting with me. And that's a powerful message through Amos. Some of you right now are trying to figure out why you can't break through with God. God, I feel like I'm hitting a wall. I feel like my prayers aren't going anywhere. Well, who do you have a problem with right now? Who in your family? I mean, if you're having a hard time hearing God, how's your relationship with your wife? If you're having a hard time hearing from God, how's your relationship with your husband? How are your kids? How's that guy at work who just drives you crazy? What's going on with you and your kids? This is a powerful message that Amos was giving to us. Some of you guys, well, you don't understand my boss. He is a total jerk. And my pastor, man, he's an idiot too. I'm just kidding. You might think, man, you don't know my sister. You don't know my... Here's what, here's what Paul says, and I like this. This is uh, just a simple verse in Romans 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's my challenge. As far as it depends on you, do everything within your power within your ability to be at peace with this person, within your ability. Because there are going to be people who just aren't going to like you. You're not going to resolve every issue, but you can say before the Lord, God, I've done everything that I can to be at peace with this person. Okay? Here's the second thing, a big message of Amos, and that is that flashy, cool, hip, elaborate worship does not touch God. It doesn't. Israel had great buildings, they had powerful ceremonies, they had flashy colors, they had bright colors and and, uh, flashy clothes, I mean, and uh, bright banners, they had dynamic music, and then God shows up to church, and he says, tear it all down. He says, you can't hide your sin in the show. 
This is what he says in Amos 5.21. This is not a favorite verse of worship leaders or pastors. He says, I hate and despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Man, Amos, keeping it real. He says, man, you stink to God. This is, uh, thus says the Lord, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your guitars. It's of your harps. It'd be guitars for us today. He says, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. He says, you have these elaborate services. You have great worship. Everybody's singing. Hands are raised. Man, you have this great worship, but you disobey my commands. He says, your heart and lives do not reflect the heart and life of God. You've got great worship and great churches and great ceremonies. Man, the place is crowded and offerings are full, but you walk out and I don't know who you are. So when you come in, this phony worship, this I'm going to church and it's my two hours with God, he says, it's a stench to me. I'll tell you what, if our life outside is something that reflects the life of God, then our worship, the Bible says, is, is like a, a sweet-smelling uh, fragrance to the Lord. It's like burning incense of, of like filling the room with beautiful smells. But if our life outside of our worship does not reflect God, then our worship is like garbage. It's a stench. And the reflection there is of poo. I'm not kidding. So here's the next thing. What was their biggest issues? Well, here's number four. I want you to write this down. Is that God cares deeply about the poor and injustice of the world. I've got some tremendous passages there. We've actually done whole messages on this many times. In Amos, many of the grievances that God has deal with how the poor and the hurting are treated. They live excessive lives. They're very materialistic and they have a twisted justice system. They force homeless people to make loans just to buy a pair of sandals. And they had an addiction to luxury. It was insatiable. Here's a real funny passage. Any of you guys watching? Don't raise your hands because I don't want to, you know, call you out. Uh, But I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the Housewives reality shows. Any one of them, right? Housewives of Atlanta, Housewives of Orange County, whatever. Housewives of New Jersey. Well, this, we're going to read a passage of the Housewives of the Northern Kingdom. Housewives of Israel. Check this out. Amos 4.1. This is not a verse to memorize, gentlemen. All right, verse 4.1, it says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. On Mount Samaria, you you women. (laughs) Let's just think about that for a second. All right. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. This is not about their size. This is about their insatiable consumption, their constant desire for stuff. They're, they're, they're just wanting more and more and more things. It's this materialism. And he says, verse two, the sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks. The last of you with fish hooks. So he's got this image of, of like you being dangled, right? You're being tipped. Oh, I want that. I want that. And you're just grabbing it. And, and he goes, it's going to be your demise. The very things that you crave are going to be the things that take you away and kill you. Man, this is powerful. 
And Amos is like, man, you women, you're a bunch of cows. What? Because you eat too much stuff. Not food, but possessions. And you know what? The whole book is, is really directed towards the men. There are a few passages that deal with women as well. Amos talked about everybody. It's a really intense challenge that you want more and more and still others have none. And God is deeply offended and repulsed by this. Why? Because this reveals God's heart. In Amos, cruelty, apostasy, and immorality are all treated alike. God is calling us out of moral decay and out of a lack of compassion. We do the same because here's what we tend to do as churches and as Christians. We focus on the moral issues, right? We have the list of, of, the, of the bad moral things that people do, and those become our banners. Those become the things we, 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 we shout about and we get angry about and we get opinionated about, and we say very little about the oppression of the poor, the injustice of those around us or in the world. And Amos says, man, it's not just about morals, though God cares. It's also about compassion against the injustice. Let me give you an example. Check this out. There are 30 verses in the Bible that talk about justice, that talk about caring for the poor. 300 verses about caring for the poor. There are 20 verses talking about homosexuality. But the majority of us have no opinion about caring for the poor, and we have a hundred opinions about homosexuality. Now, how many verses does it take to form God's view? It only takes one, right? So that is in no way saying one is more important than the other, but I want to tell you something. God talks a whole lot more about compassion and standing up for the injustice of the broken and the poor more than moral issues. He treats them the same in Amos. He says, you're immoral, you're corrupt, and you despise and treat the poor badly. Your court systems are so corrupt, you use people for your advantage. You don't stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. And he says, and because of that, the hammer's coming. We are God's justice league. This is what Jesus said. First John, uh, John, the apostle of Jesus says this about Jesus. In first John 3.16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, it says, let us love with words, not just with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We say, well, man, I feel bad for them, but it's not my problem. If you're, if you're a believer, it is your problem. I look at those people, I just say, oh, it's so sad. What else is on? Quick, change the channel. Yeah, I know my neighbor's struggling. I know someone in our church is certain. I know that guy on the street could use somebody. But I just don't have time, God. It's not my problem. Guess what? It is your problem. Amos is telling us it's our problem. If we are children of God, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, it is your problem. Moses, I mean, Amos brings it down very serious. He says, man, you're hogging your possessions. God tells us all that we've been given has been given to us to bless other people. You can write this down. It's not in your notes. Is whatever you have been given, enjoy it and share it. 
That's God's challenge to us. He gives you good things for you to enjoy, and that's where we stop. He gives us things not only to enjoy, but to share. In fact, this might be a good thing for you to write down, is this. Here's a thought. If it's too valuable to share, it's too valuable to own, because chances are it probably owns you. Here's the last thing. I don't want to pray for you guys. And that is Amos is telling us that God will often mess up our present to guarantee our future. God says, you know what, Israel? You are destroying your lives. And I'm going to bring severe correction so that your future might be preserved. So that something better might come about in the future. Some of us are going through a time right now And we're like, God, what is going on? All hell is breaking loose in my life. Everything's falling apart. There are are four reasons why bad things happen. It's a result of a fallen world and the world is in decay and people full of the sin and we make poor choices and, and, and we're a result of other people's poor choices. Number two, it's a result of our own actions. Sometimes our own choices lead us into trouble. Number three, I believe there are many times when things go bad that there's an attack on our life from the enemy. There's a real God and there's also a real devil and he loves to hurt the people that God loves, which is everyone. And the fourth reason that trouble comes in our life is that God is intervening so that we can get our eyes on him. And that's the story in Amos. God loves his kids too much to let us mess up our lives. God often, as a good parent, allows our present to fall apart to ensure a solid future. Some of you right now, I'm wondering, God, I don't understand. I made these plans. I thought I did it the right way. I, I'm, I'm moving forward. I, God, I, no matter what I do, it just seems to be falling apart. And I'm praying. I'm crying out. God, I, I don't get it. Why is my present so filled with chaos and confusion or, or unanswered questions? And the Lord says, you know what? If you will trust in me, I will preserve your future. Sometimes God allows us to have our present shaken up to guarantee a better future. And I want to encourage you, the Lord, if you will call out to him, will never forsake you. And he will always be with you. So the surprise ending of Amos is Jesus. The Messiah is from the house of Jacob, who is coming to restore the nations. And as James says, Jesus fulfills Amos as the one who brought us back That's the future that God preserved for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are with us today and that you love us. God, I thank you, Lord, that the country country farmer came with a word to Israel and a word to us today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get this in our heart. Lord, if there's something in, in our life with a person that we need to get right, then Lord, let today be the day that we go out and get that right so that we can hear from you clearly. God, if there's something going on in our life right now that seems to be falling apart, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just trust in you, rely on you, that you are with us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand that you care deeply about the poor and the injustices of this world. And God, I pray that we would step up and rise up and be the people of God who will stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves and help those who have a hard time helping themselves. Lord, we love you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace and mercy. If you're here today and you've heard this strange message from Amos and you're trying to figure out what it means for you, 
Here's what it means. The Lord God loves you. He's in charge of all things. He knows the secrets of your life and he wants you to turn to him. So as we close our service, I'm going to give it back to to Sean and we're going to worship God uh, with Chris as well. Will you just take some time just to say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the cross. I want to start this walk with you. I've heard the words of Amos. And Lord, here's my life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.